there. We're so glad you tuned in today. We would love to hear how God is using this podcast to encourage you. You can do so by visiting our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. We're starting a new message series today called The Time Is Now. The Time Is Now. This is a series about what God wants to do in your life right now. Right now is a very intricate, special, different time, isn't it? The time in which we live right now is a very, not just chronologically specific when I say now, right? Now doesn't mean yesterday, now doesn't mean tomorrow. Now is the time that you're living in. And now is the time for you to discover what God wants to do exactly in your life. So let's talk about for a few moments why God put you here. We're going to also talk about what he does with our lives while we're here. How many ever wondered to yourselves, man, I wonder what God really was thinking when he created me. Does anybody? Some of you do that in the mirror like I do. Like, what were you thinking, God? Right? Some of you may do something and then you go, what was I thinking? Romans chapter 13. I want to talk about a God plan. And I found this translation that was interesting and I I really liked the way it was laid out. And so I want to read this translation a little bit. And then I want to dive into a little bit of the the background of this text. When we look at Romans chapter 13 for a moment, the Passion Translation. Now, let me just just kind of be very specific up front. I like how it's phrased, and we'll go into what each word means for a moment, because what I'm going to dig up from the passage still remains to be the same. But this translation, the Passion Translation, was really neat. And I want you to look at this maybe at your screen for a moment. And it says this, Romans 13, verses 10 and 11. Love makes it impossible to harm another. So love fulfills all that the law requires. To live like this is all the more urgent. For time, everybody say time, is running out. And you should know that it is a strategic hour. Everybody say hour. In human history. How many agree that? This is a very specific and strategic time in history. Read on with me. It is time, everybody say time, for us to wake up for our full salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Pray with me, Lord. Bring this word to the surface. Right now, bring this word to the surface. I depend on you, God, right now. We depend on you right now. Let this, be, this word be very clear, concise, and to the point. God, I don't want to insert myself in this text. I want you to be glorified. So take this text and enlighten us in Jesus' name. Amen. I wanted to pray specifically because 
when I say that the time is now, church, I've never experienced what I as a pastor and as a believer am experiencing in this time in history. How important the church is matters on every single front. Are you hearing me? From, from beginning to end, everything we do on our daily lives affects what's going to happen in our lives tomorrow. If there's a tomorrow. Because we're living in a day and an hour that there's so many uncertainty. So much uncertainty. But I want us to look at that for a moment. Because I specifically underlined, bolded, and even uh, had the color change here on the screen so you can see what I'm talking about as I talk about it. Because I want you to follow with me. If you're taking notes, you might want to take some notes here. This is huge right here. And there are several words in the Greek language that relate to time. We use time as time. Like, I don't have time. I'm running out of time. We don't have the time. Do you have the time? Hey, what's the time? We use it in a lot of different elements, right? But in the Greek language, there are multiple uses for the word time. And I wanted to kind of enlighten what this text looked like. So let's look at this for a moment. In just verse 11, three of the four words of time was used, but they were different in the original text. Watch this. The first one is the word chronos, which is not used in this text. That's the one of the four that is not used in this text and is the main word for measuring time, okay? Like a stopwatch, okay? Time from here to there, chronos. That's where we get the word chronology. Then there's the word keros. Everybody say keros. Keros refers to an appointed moment in season. A specific moment or season. Now follow with me for a moment because it'll all kind of tie in. The third word for time is aura. Spanish people know aura. It looks like it, right? It's the Latin word, Greek, but in the Greek, it's aura. It's usually translated hour, but it refers to a, an occasion, a moment in time specifically by hour, by hour. And then there's the word none. Say none. None. None means, not, no, it doesn't, it doesn't stand for what, when you log into your bank account, um, your bank account says none. But what this is, it actually means right now. The original word none means right now. Now follow with me. If you trail this, the moment is almost past. It's a sense of urgency right now. In other words, if something was to catch on fire here, if I say, get me a bucket of water now, that doesn't mean a moment in time when you get a chance, right? When I say now, that's what that means. See, we understand now. That's what that word meant. That none word means right 
now. Not wait till, you know, time opens up. Wait till service is over. There's a fire. Put it out. None. Put it out now. So when we look at this text, if we could go back one slide, we go back to the text for a moment. Remember I said three of the four are being used? Follow me and trail because this is, this is just spectacular. So when you look at it, what Paul is saying here at, to the church in Rome, here's what he's saying. The keros, that age or appointed season, is running out. The time, the aura, the moment to make a difference is none. Now. Did you see that? Again, he says, Keros, time is running out. Make a difference now. Wake up. So when we read this text, we say it's impossible uh, to, to harm one another. And some of us looked at it and we said, to live like this is all the more urgent for time is running out. And you know it's a strategic hour. But when you look at the original text, it's, he's bringing it down to we have this season. We have this moment. Take advantage now. We're living in a season. Capture the moment. Take advantage now. The time is now. And you say, well, Pastor Tony, what are we talking about? The time is now to respond to the Spirit of God. Because He's calling the church to stop what you've done for so many years that does not have eternal value. The time is now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So when he's talking about this, he's talking about a God plan, a bigger plan, because there's a time-sensitive element here. What do we need to do right now? Well, he says it right at the end of that. It is time for what? Us to what? Wake up. If you haven't woken up to how our world deems what is important in the last 12 weeks, you obviously either don't have a television, don't talk to people, and you've never left your house. That's the only way you don't know that there's something happening in the air. And unless the church rises and says, I need to hear God right now. The time is now to respond. There's a specific season. And some people, listen, I have talked to people over the last few weeks that are like, when is this going to end? It feels like it's never going to end. How many said that to yourself? How many were sitting in your living room for too many hours in a row? And you said, will it ever end? Some of you, your jobs called you to still work. And you were, you were like, what quarantine? I, you know, for me, I was amazed how many weeks to the gallon I was getting. I wasn't even going miles to the gallon anymore. It was like, how many weeks to the gallon am I getting in my car? When the world buffers, you ever sat at your computer? Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about? You ever sat in your computer and the wheel of death comes up? 
Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And you're staring at it going, dumb computer. And it's just circling and circling. And you're like, what did I do? I just clicked something. And all of us, the wheel of death. Right? You're waiting. How many, your lives felt like that wheel right there, right? Just buffering, waiting, waiting, waiting. And God says, the wait is over. The time is now. Do something with everything I've given you. So I hope you're getting what I'm saying so far because I want to dive into our text this morning and I want to give us a wake-up call today because the text we're going to jump into this morning is a text that many of you read and some of you might even cancel out the moment I tell you where it is. Let's go to Jeremiah for a moment because you've heard this text before, but I want to kind of bring a a different angle here, what I believe is the the proper angle. Um, Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse 1. And then we're going to hop to verse 10. We're just going to jump 10 verses. It's important that we know the first one, the first verse, so that we can make the other text make sense. So I'm going to allow you a moment. Jeremiah, Old Testament, chapter 29. So there's a first verse, then we're going to go to verse 10. So it it reads like this. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles... And to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Okay? So we understand the, the, the context of the letter. This is for Jerusalem surviving elders that Nebuchadnezzar had exiled. Let's go to verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Then it says the verse that most of us have heard in our lives. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. Follow with me. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. We often hear this verse quoted, and, you know, I get it. I get why this verse is used. Jeremiah 29, 11, especially when you graduate, all the graduates, right? You graduate, I know the plans I have for you. I get that. And, you know, it makes sense that way. But, but I want us to understand in the proper context that it hangs on two pieces of very important information. First of all, the text and the context are very different. You have to understand that when when God spoke this to Jeremiah, everyone look at me for a moment. When God spoke this to Jeremiah, these people were in distress. And some of our graduates are like, well, did you see the end of our senior year? So maybe Jeremiah 29, 11 makes more sense now to the graduates than ever before. But we realize that this wasn't written to just say, hey, 
Lorraine, I know the plans I have for you. Stay encouraged. I know the plans I have for you, Tina. Chip her up, will you? What? Did I just say chip her up? I've never said that in my life. I'm trying to be another person. It's really hard. Be yourself. Everyone's already taken. So, you know, we use that verse... And we, we kind of use it casually like it's like a, hey, pick her up verse. But really this verse was spoken to a people who never, who, who lost their identity, who lost who they, who they knew they were, who lost their home. They were outsiders. There were people that didn't have an identity anymore. And there's some people coming out of this season going, what am I? Who am I? What am I supposed to do moving forward? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Coming out of this, we're kind of like, I'm trying to re, remind myself what life was like before masks and distancing and, and six feet apart. And, and God is saying, that's all just here. What is happening inside of you? And what is happening inside of man that's coming out? Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? What's inside of you that came out over the last 12 weeks that you were like, ugh, I didn't like that about myself. God says, I want to take that and I want to allow that to surface. But when I allow it to surface, I want to scrape that away. I don't just want to bring it up. See, because a lot of people, watch me now, a lot of people want, don't want God to bring up mess in their lives. How many, let's be honest, let's be honest. How many of you, you know, something going on in your life, you're just like, God, just let it sit there for a moment. Let it marinate. I'll deal with it one day. Right? Whether it's a bitter, you know, situation with a family member or a coworker you don't like. You're like, Lord, let me be a light except to him. Because that man gets on my last nerve. Right? Let me be a light except to. Listen, there's no except to. Because if God brings that up, guess what? He's trying to deal with it. So you can scrape it under the rug or sweep it under the rug or whatever you want to do. But guess what? Sooner or later, there's going to be a lump in the rug. My children know that. They have certain spots in the house where they like to throw stuff just so that they don't have to can be, say that they're done. And then I'm like, pull this out. We have a trundle. My, my boys have a bunk bed and they have a trundle. Third bed underneath. There's stuff there that won't even allow the bed to go in all the way sometimes. Right? And I'm like, all right, we're going to clean our room, guys. All right, Dad. I go back in there. Wow, that was quick, guys. Awesome. Now pull the trundle out. Dad. But Dad, I'm not but Dad. Pull the trundle out. Stuff all back there. I'm like, clean it out. Right? We do the same thing. We laugh about that, but we do the same thing. We, we just hide it so it's not seen. Right? Y'all laughing because some of y'all still do it. I don't know. It's, my wife doesn't know about this one spot. Just you know, No, not me, not me, not me. It was, I'm talking about somebody else. The truth is this. When this was written, this was written to a people who lost their identity. So when he says, listen, when you look at it in that context, you realize when he says, for I know the plans 
I have for you. Even if you don't. Even if you don't. Plans to give you a hope and the future. Right? So let me, let me look at this for a moment. Many people are surprised when they discover that the good plans for them doesn't always come easily. See, some people take this text and they, 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 there's a couple things that happen wrong. Are you ready? There are two extreme interpretations of this text today. And one of them is the prosperity gospel. Right? That prosperity teaches that God just wants to bless you and make you happy. And his, God's purpose in life is just to bless you. How many know that's a little skewed? That all God wants to do is improve your life. Like God exists just to make your life better. That prosperity gospel, man. It minimizes God's person, it minimizes your purpose, and it minimizes everything and undermines everything God called us to do. Are you hearing me? Prosperity, that's dangerous. I'm going to just call it what it is, dangerous. Then there's the poverty gospel. That's the other extreme. For I know the plans I have for you, right? You're like, God has a plan for you. God's plan for you is for you to be broke because that's what Jesus was. He was a broke individual. That's how come he had to have a crew with him to work for him. God wants you to be broke, and that's how he's honored, and that's how he's glorified. So be broke like Jesus, because that's the goal. No, that's not true either. There's extremes here that, that the text doesn't lend itself to. But then there's the biblical gospel. The biblical approach is that God teaches us and it rains on the just and the unjust and he uses everything for his glory. Whether you are poor like none. Remember none? You are poor right now. You are poor. You're struggling. God, man, I tell you, there's times can I tell you that there's been times in my life where I wanted to go get a cup of coffee but I had to check my bank account first. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Especially if it's Starbucks. Dear Lord, overdraft going right there. Right? You got to wash those $22 cup of coffee. I'll tell you what right now. <laughs> it's not that much, I know. That's why I go dunking. <laughs> anyway. You hear what I'm saying? You know what I'm talking about? Let's go back to, don't, don't, don't get me on that rabbit trail. Stop, stop. Don't laugh at that joke because I'll keep going. But you know what I'm talking about, right? When you're like, I, I, I don't even know that I can do that because it's, you struggle. Then there's other times where, man, you just want to bless somebody because God has been so good to you. Are any one of those more glorifying than the other? No, it matters where my heart is, right? So give your heart to God and let God begin to shape the difference there. And let the gospel be the gospel. Let the Bible be the Bible. And stop creating a gospel that doesn't exist. God uses the rich, he uses the poor, and he uses everybody in between for his glory. Somebody say amen. Please, somebody say amen. Jeremiah was writing to the Israelites about a very important gospel. And so here's three truths I want to share with you. And I want to share this with you very clearly. Here it is. Number one, you are known by God. You are known by God. And those are the three points. For those of you that want to write it down, I'm going to kind of go through this rather quickly. But I, because the point is quick and the point is understood, not because I want to shoot through this, but first of all, I want you to know you're known by God. He's recognized you. 
How many know that there's nothing you could do for God to make you more loved or express his love to you even more? He loves you right where you're at. You're known by God. You aren't here by chance. You aren't here by your own moment. You aren't, you aren't here by your own making. You didn't choose to be who you were when you were born. You didn't get to select your parents, your skin color, your financial background, the community you were born in. You were born here at the mercy of those you were born to. God selected that, not you. And you're there for a reason. And no matter where you are, God loves you. And this was the same thing Jeremiah was trying to say. I know the plans I have for you, even if you don't see it in exile. Because this quarantine felt like an exile for some of you. I know it did for me sometimes. I felt like I left everything that I'd known, even though I was in my own home. The time is now to realize that God knows you. You are known by God. Somebody say amen. amen. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 5, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, guess what? I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God has appointed you to do something for him. Every one of you, the youngest one to the oldest one. God has set you up and he says, I know you. How many are grateful for the fact that God knows you? Yeah? Second thought is this. You have hope in God. You look at that text very specifically. He says this. He says, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and the future. You have hope in him. God spelled out his God plan right here. When I talk about a God plan, I want you to know that you can create your plans, but your plans are not greater than a God plan. You can have a good plan, but without God, you can't have a God plan. Right? You can have a good plan, but not a God plan. And when he spelled this out to the Israelites, he says, when you seek me, you will find me. I will heal you. I will restore you. I will bring you back home. He's saying that to the people. He's saying, I know you're in exile. I know that you feel a certain way. Some of you feel alienated right now. You feel alienated for whatever reason. I want you to know something. You are known and you have hope. You are known and you have hope. God has a purpose for your life. And the third thought is simply this. God has designed your future. You say, well, do I get to pick my future? Yes, you get to pick it. You get to pick God's great plan for you or the one you can make yourself. But only one of them is a God plan. The one that you create yourself may be a good plan. And you know what? You may make a lot of money. Watch this. You may be successful in man's eyes. You know what? You may be known by a lot of people and get a lot of followers on Twitter. That does not mean it's a God plan. That does not mean it's a God plan. God has designed a purpose for you. And every week when you come, whether it's on 
Sundays or Wednesdays, whenever these doors are open or you have a group or you meet together or something, everything that we do is designed for people to love God, love people, or change the world. One of those three things. If any one of those three are compromised, then I'm not sure we should be doing it. Somebody talk to me for a moment. If what we're doing doesn't love God, if what we're doing doesn't love people, if what we're doing doesn't change the world around us, then we have to question it. So then let me allow this model to be applied to your daily life. If what you're doing right now with your life doesn't love God, love people, or change the world, then question it. Question it. Because if there's anything this quarantine time away from each other and being in our own homes has made me realize is that you can still survive but I find myself lacking and thriving if I don't have believers around me. You can survive. And last week, if you didn't hear last week's message, um, go back and listen to it. And I talked about from survival to revival. It's no longer about surviving. It's about thriving. It's about moving forward. And so here, here's what I'm talking about. I want to put this in a capsule for you as I begin to close. Here we go. You ready? God doesn't want you to leave the lost out of the equation. Look at me. Before you, before you start closing your mindset and think about the next thing, don't. Hear me. He wants to take you somewhere, and that somewhere is here now. He wants to take you to that here and now in his presence. That here and now at his feet. That here and now with him. Do you remember Mary and Martha? Do you remember that story? Mary and Martha. Mary, uh, Mary sat at Jesus' feet listening to Jesus. And then there was Martha who was doing, 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 doing. And then she turns to Jesus. She complains to Jesus that um, she ain't doing enough. Right? Isn't that in essence what she said? Master, I'm running rampant. I'm doing the dishes. I'm, I'm sweeping the kitchen, and here she is just sitting at your feet. Can you just tell her, help out, please? And Jesus says, this woman is doing the right thing. This is the paraphrase version. I'm just telling you. Jesus said, well, she has chosen right. Because sometimes we can get so caught up in everything else, and we forget where we draw our strength where we draw our source. So when I talk about God designing your future, I want you to know something. God made you, he loves you, and he has set aside a future and a, and a plan for you that's so big, you can't wrap your mind around it. Listen, if you can fulfill the plan that you have laid out for yourself in the next five to ten years, it's too small, and it may not be God's. There's a possibility of a third option. It's incomplete. You want to go here, and God's like, I want you for here, but if you want to settle for here, keep doing what you're doing. But I want to, I want, I want to take you to other levels. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. I'm probably going to say it for several weeks. I don't want the new normal. I reject the new normal. Here's what I am accepting. The next level. The next level. My friend said it like this. It's time for us to redeem the quarantine. 
We need to take what God has taught us and say, listen, I've learned something. Let me take it and, and, and adjust it and make my life right. So let me say this like this. Do you guys remember this in Luke chapter 5? And I'm going to close with this. I'm going to have the worship team come. Luke chapter 5, verses 5 to 10. Listen to this story here. You all remember this? When Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night. We caught nothing. Remember when Jesus was telling him? The fishermen did the fishing. And the carpenter's going to tell him how to catch fish. He's like, Master, Dios mío. Right? Listen, we've been doing this all night. We know what we're doing, but, Master, we respect you. Nevertheless, we're going to listen. Right? And what happens? The boat couldn't even contain the amount of fish that was caught. Now watch this for a moment. I want you to hear me. Look at me. Look at me. Everyone right here. The boat couldn't hold the fish. Because they had a plan without God in it. And what happens is we realize that God has a way of interrupting our plans. and says, my plan is better, but I'm waiting for you to listen and say yes to my plan. How many of you want to say yes to God's plan today? He's a good, good God. And so what we realize is that when God says, I have a plan for you, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and bank on that. He says, and Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. In other words, there's going to be people coming to you. You're not going to be able to handle it. It's going to be, wow, I can't believe the people that God has allowed me to influence. Some of you, God has been speaking through you to people and ministering to people like you never imagined. And that's because you surrendered the boat. You gave up the boat so that he can have his way in his time. You see... They were fishing already. It wasn't that they were at the wrong place. It was the wrong time, the wrong hour. And God says, okay, go now. They were already fishing. Trust me when I tell you, they didn't do it differently. They didn't do fishing differently. They do it how they normally do it. But when they said yes at the right time, they said yes to the, to the Savior. When they said yes, that's what changed everything. Sometimes you could do God's will at the wrong time. Wow, I thought I'd get an amen on that one. It got real quiet. Should I try it again? Sometimes you could do God's will at the wrong time. I tell you the truth. I've been caught there. Have you? Let's pray for God to plan in our life right now. I'm going to ask everyone right now to just all across this room, just bow your heads for a moment. Father, I realize this. We could have our plans. But when we stop and we say, yes, Lord, nevertheless, because you said so, I will do it. We can go back to the very same place we were. And we over super blessed because we said yes to you. 
I'm asking you, God, for every person at the sound of my voice right now, would you let them see God's plans unfold in their lives? The time is now. Jesus didn't say, when you get a chance, go back out. He told them, go. And they did. Lord, help us to respond in the same way that we may go and cast our net over, maybe even just the other side. But nevertheless, because you said to do it, we will do it. Help us to serve, love, and honor you more than we ever have before. In Jesus' name we pray.